Back here on One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. Pleasure to be joined by the author and editor of three books on Jackie Robinson, First Class Citizenship, The Civil Rights Letters of Jackie Robinson, Beyond Home Plate, Jackie Robinson on Life After Baseball, and Jackie Robinson, A Spiritual Biography. Michael G. Long, thank you so much for taking some time today. How are you? It could be with you. I'm doing well. Thanks. So let's, let's get into Jackie Robinson a little bit. And your writing in particular was pretty interesting to me because it explores perhaps a different side of Jackie Robinson from what is given to perhaps the general population. How is Jackie Robinson different from the way he is portrayed traditionally in popular culture? Well, I think of the Jackie Robinson books that I grew up with, I also think of uh, the way Major League Baseball has celebrated his legacy and just the way that he's presented in pop culture. And when I think of those things, I see Jackie Robinson who's frozen in 1947, especially on April 15th, 1947. This is the day that he shatters the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Uh, he is soldiering nonviolently. He's turning the other cheek. He's brushing the dust off his uniform and just moving on. Uh, he's not responding directly to all the racist taunts and jeers that come his way. And in this sense, Robinson is non-threatening to us, and especially in white America. Uh, he's safe. He's a figure who is not hitting us back. And we laud this Robinson, I think partly because he is so safe and he is so non-threatening. And so we've frozen him there, I think, for that reason, just as we've frozen Dr. King in, at the Washington Monument, I'm sorry, at the Lincoln Memorial on uh, August 28th, 1963. King is less threatening there than he is at other points of his life. And the same is true of Robinson in 1947. Now, the Robinson we depict in the book, Nick, is a little different from that. You mentioned his first season in 1947, and many of his teammates opposed to integration, supporting a league-wide walkout and some of the craziness that went on in that first season that we seem to pay more attention to. What was your understanding of that season and some of the challenges that Jackie had to face? One of the challenges he had to face was just the lack of support among his teammates and among the Dodgers organization. When he showed up in the locker room, they didn't even have a locker for him. Uh, they weren't quite sure that the great experiment, as it was called, would work. Uh, in fact, they put his jersey on a peg. And not only did, that, did they do that, they gave him a really high number. So... I don't know if this is still true, but back in 47, the lower numbers were really the ideal numbers that people aspired to. These were the, the numbers that people liked. And so number four was available that year. Number two was available that year. Uh, one of them went to Duke Snyder, a great rookie. But Robinson got number 42. That was a really high number. It's not something that one aspired to in 1947. So Robinson took that as a challenge. He took the absence of a locker 
as a challenge. He made a number out of 42. We sure as heck didn't know it before Robinson, but we sure do know what 42 means now. So that was one challenge, the lack of support from the organization. And then he didn't have support among his teammates either. There's this great myth about Pee Wee Reese walking over to Robinson early in 1947 and putting his arm around Robinson. And according to Rachel Robinson and a contributor, Jonathan Igg, who's written a great book about Muhammad Ali, by the way, uh, that never happened. Uh, in fact, people just on the team just didn't do that to Robinson in early 47. They kept their distance. So Robin faced, faced that. That was another challenge. Still another challenge was the very direct, explicit racism directed at him by other players and teams. And here I'm thinking of the Philadelphia Phillies and their manager, Ben Chapman, who hurled every possible racist word at Robinson in early 47. I mean, it was brutal. So Robin faced that, Robinson faced that challenge as well. And then there were the fans who despised his color. And some of them sent, uh, death threats to him. So he would go out in the field and face these death threats. So those are just some of the challenges he faced early in 47. With all of those challenges and having to navigate such almost an unfathomable situation, he had to manage the anger and the emotion of perhaps not being able to retaliate in a way that would make sense for a number of other people. How did Robinson control his anger and and just deal with the entire situation that he was put in to be able to to abide by Branch Rickey's rules and the agreement that had allowed him to play on the team going into 47. It almost seems unimaginable for him to manage this. Uh, but let's just go back to the Phillies for a second. When he heard Ben Chapman and the team in the bench uh, hurl all those words in his direction, he says in uh, later years that he felt like throwing down his bat, marching over to the dugout and taking what he calls his despised black fist and pummeling those white sons of you know what's. He doesn't do that remarkably to me, but he felt that. And when he felt that, he swallowed it. And he turned all that, says one of my contributors, into muscle which is really interesting. It's a great image, isn't it? So you take all that racism that's coming your way and you take it inside and you turn it into muscle. And the contributor means physical muscle. But I can also add that he turned it into spiritual muscle but as well. He turned it into strength and courage and athletic prowess on the diamond, right? So this is a guy who turned that resentment into muscle that resulted in Hall of Fame statistics, right? Amazing to me that he performed at such a high level while he's trying to swallow all those threats and face all those threats that are coming at him from all directions. But the other thing he did, Lano Fordham is a Catholic university, uh, is to go to his room late at night when he got home after the uh, game. He would kneel by his bedside and ask God for strength and courage. And according to Rachel, he did this every night. So he turned to God for help as well. Uh, these weren't easy times for Robinson. He was not naturally peaceful. 
He was not nonviolent, as he put it. Uh, he was inclined to strike back. One of his teammates from the Negro Leagues said that he had a temper like a rattlesnake. So let's not imagine for a second that this was an easy time. Talking to author and editor of three books on Jackie Robinson, Michael G. Long, you mentioned a little bit of what I wanted to get to next, but Jackie Robinson, the player, six-time All-Star, league MVP in 1949, rookie of the year, is how great of a baseball player that Jackie Robinson is, you know, mixed up with all of the things that he went through and his legacy of being a player that broke the color barrier. Does he go underappreciated as just how great of a baseball player he was? I think so. I think that Robinson could have made it into the Hall of Fame just for breaking the color barrier. Uh, but that isn't even mentioned on his plaque, I don't think. I, I might be wrong about that. I have to go back and read it. Mm -hmm. But think about this. He gets death threats by mail, right? So when he goes out to the field, he's imagining that somebody is in the stands ready to take him out. Can you imagine fielding under those circumstances? Can you imagine winning uh, the MVP? Can you imagine winning becoming the rookie of the year, 1947, right? And then throughout his career, and these, these racist taunts and jeers don't stop in 47. <laughs> you know, racism didn't disappear after 47. They continue until he leaves in 56. Throughout his career, he builds these statistics, 313 or 311 or 313, he bats. Uh, and then you mentioned the other words as well. Yeah, when you combine that, with the history of shattering, shattering the color barrier, and then with the racism that came his way. I think his baseball career is underappreciated. It's one thing uh, to build Hall of Fame statistics, but it's quite another thing to compile those statistics under such enormous pressure. I think there's a widely accepted understanding of Jackie Robinson and who he was and what the story is. Is there something that we should know as someone who has followed and studied him more closely about his legacy that perhaps goes underreported or that we don't know? I think one of the things that sometimes gets lost in the mix of sports is that Robinson transformed not only the rosters of Major League Baseball, so that when he leaves in 1956, 5.6% of all players on Major League Baseball rosters are Black players. But he also transformed the game. And so what Robinson did, according to George Vesey, a longtime sports writer for the New York Times, who contributes to the book, is to transform the game itself. He injects Blackness into Major League Baseball. And Vesey makes the case so that when we see a runner taking that extra long turn at first base, thinking about going to second, and when we see them dance between the bases, when we see that hard slide, when we see, see somebody steal home plate, that's Jackie Robinson ball. He transformed the game. And unfortunately, uh, that's been sort of squelched and tamped down by analytics. But beginning in 47, he really brought some excitement to the game that simply wasn't there before. I think that's sometimes forgotten as well. It's obvious to celebrate his achievement and his greatness, but I think one of the most important things that is about just Jackie Robinson's legacy in general 
regards what we can learn from him. What do you think that you and I and everyone should learn from the Jackie Robinson story? Well, I think we should learn that there's great virtue in impatience. <laughs> Robinson was not a patient figure after 47, 48. This is when Branch Rickey uh, releases him, frees him, emancipates him from that biblical admonition to turn the other cheek. And at this point, Robinson really straightens his backbone. He argues with umpires over bad calls. He argues with other players and managers and so forth. And for the rest of his life, he becomes really assertive and aggressive in pursuing first-class citizenship for Black Americans on and off the field. And he lets go of the patience that he embraced in 47, and he becomes a fantastic civil rights leader. Uh, and I think that's important. He had his conflicts with Malcolm X. They differed over racial segregation and the use of any means necessary. But he admired Malcolm X for Malcolm X's impatience. And he became more impatient. Robinson became more impatient, I think, as his life went on. Finally, I'll, I'll wrap up with this one, Michael. Baseball right now, there is an increased discussion surrounding diversity and perhaps a lack of Black players currently in Major League Baseball. What do you feel like the league needs to do to improve that situation and answer some of those doubters? You know, when Robinson left, as I mentioned before, 5.6% of all players on rosters were Black players. And I think that figure has jumped at the most two percentage points uh, this year. Uh, I can't imagine Robinson would be not displeased with that. I think he would be livid at that figure. I think he would be very upset as well uh, that there aren't more black faces in the front offices, that there aren't more black faces managing baseball. Uh, nine days before he died, he looked at, uh, he threw out the ceremonial pitch at the Second World Series. And he said to a nationally televised audience, uh, I'm happy to be here, I'm pleased to be here, but I'll be a lot happier and more pleased when I look down third baseline and see a black face managing baseball. Nine days before he died, he said that. So I think he would be upset at the way Major League Baseball is right now in terms of uh, the absence of color, right? So what can we do about it? I just saw that Major League Baseball hired Ken Griffey Jr. for issues of to take care of, or at least address issues of diversity and development among urban youth. That's a tall order, it really is. You know, baseball is itself is not a fast sport. It's not attractive and sexy like the NBA, like the NFL. And so just as a sport, it lacks the sexiness of those other sports, I think. But it's also up against social figures, or I'm sorry, social forces, like the lack of green space in urban areas. Uh, like poverty, you know, it takes a lot of money to play baseball and field a team. It's not like just getting a soccer ball and kicking it around. It takes considerable resources. And so Ken Griffey and Major League Baseball are also up against some social forces. So I wish them the best. Uh, there are no easy answers to this. I think one answer is definitely bringing more black faces and faces of color into the front office. So we see it greater change of perspective. He is the author and editor of three books on Jackie Robinson, First Class Citizenship, The Civil Rights Letters of Jackie Robinson, Beyond Home Plate, 
Jackie Robinson on Life After Baseball and Jackie Robinson, a spiritual biography. Michael G. Long, thank you so much for taking some time today. Great to be with you, Nick. Thanks so much. We'll be back with more one-on-one -on -one right after this.